Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Qi Tuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files. Welcome to Formosa Files. I'm Eric Michael Smith. I'm John Ross. Okay, so we usually don't like to talk too much about ourselves in this podcast, but I'm going to make a little bit of an exception here because um, one of the things I love most about Taiwan is the high quality, affordable health care. And uh, there's a good chance I would be dead <laughs> without mm. it. When I was in my late teens and early 20s, I, um, how can I put this delicately? I, I was stupid. I tried a lot of uh, experiments with uh, physics and motorcycles, physics one every time. Uh, uh, there's a series of poor choices and uh, they resulted in, in, in things that required me to go to the hospital. And one time I even collapsed a lung. So I am a, a real big fan of the National Health Insurance Program. So Eric, uh, recently we were discussing uh, the island of Xiaoliaochou uh, for an upcoming episode. When I asked you, have you been to the island? You said yes, but years ago, and I was only there for, what was it, 30 minutes before you had an accident and uh, you needed to be uh, medevaced, yeah? Oh yeah, uh, that's true. Um, that time I wasn't being uh, completely stupid, just a little reckless. <laughs> I had just gotten there and I was taking photos, jumping around on those wave breakers, and I fell upside down head first into a, a little hole in between the, the wave breakers and it was not oh. good <laughs> so after they pulled me out uh, they medevac me back on a speedboat to Donggang so this is 13 kilometers away from Donggang the island of Shaoliuochou and then an ambulance ride to uh, a, a nice hospital in Kaohsiung uh, there was MRIs there was a little surgery there was da, 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 da. and here's the thing mm -hmm. I can't remember how much it cost me and that itself is just a stunning fact. I, I was young. I didn't have that much money, but it, it didn't come even close to breaking the bank. I can't remember how much I paid. But We're it, not talking brain damage. No, uh, no. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Your examples of emergency low-cost uh, care, that's good. Uh, but for the less dramatic, you know, day-to-day uh, -day <laughs> visits to a, a local clinic, uh, the health system is also excellent. It costs, what does it cost? A few US dollars for a visit? Mm -hmm. And that includes medicine. That's right. And even if you're not using the system, if you're paying completely out of pocket, the low cost removes a level of stress from your life uh, here living in Taiwan. And uh, for people from the, the United States, uh, they will know that this is, uh, many people will know this is quite different. Uh, perhaps we should explain the national health insurance system here in Taiwan. Uh, you've used it a lot more than me, so um, <laughs> you have a go. Okay. Well, the national health insurance or NHI is a single payer compulsory social insurance system, which was implemented in 1995. Single payer means everything is paid by the government, a uh, single payer, but it's not like general tax revenue. It uses premiums, contributions from people based on their employment and situation. 
If you work in a private company, you'll pay 30%, the employer 60%, and the government 10%. Premiums are mandatory and calculated at 5% of the insurer's monthly salary. Now, that sounds pretty complicated, but it kind of works out to be somewhere, and we're just estimating here, somewhere in the order of like roughly 500 NT a person a month. And some groups like veterans, uh, military, they get their premiums entirely paid for. I'm on the other end of that. Uh, I'm in a self self-employed category. Uh, so I pay 100% off the premiums, but it's really quite small. Uh, I, I couldn't remember offhand. So I've, I've just gone and checked and I pay basically uh, 13,000 a year, 13,000 NT. So that's, uh, I don't know, what's that? 450 US dollars for a, a year, year bad. of total mm -hmm. coverage. Yeah. So over 99% of citizens and residents in Taiwan have coverage from the National Health uh, Insurance Program. And they pay, as you said earlier, a small fee for services. So you go into a clinic, you pay like, you know, two, three, four US dollars for the visit. And foreigners, when they move to Taiwan, they get coverage after six months of residence. And mm -hmm. what's more, we have a choice of doctors and hospitals. There are government hospitals, but the majority are private. And the great majority of clinics are also private. They get reimbursed by the government. There's, of course, some constraints, you know, the types of medicines and stuff. So there's a lot of choice. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful, yes. The NHI covers outpatient visits, uh, hospital care, traditional Chinese medicine, but that's actually uh, quite a small part of the system here, very minor. It covers prescription drugs, basic dental care, and... And medical evacuation from offshore islands. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> and working people don't have to worry about losing health insurance when they change their jobs. The, the, the lack of stress is incredible. Have we missed anything? Uh, well, the, maybe the smart card we use. Ah. Uh, and just the, the general level of uh, electronic uh, connectedness of things, uh, it makes things easier and reduces the uh, administration, the paperwork. I think Taiwan has the lowest uh, admin cost in the world, a little, uh, a little under 2%. It really is amazing. It's a credit card-sized little IC card, and it's a wonder. It's packed with information. The doctor can plug it into a little machine. It can look up your entire health history. The whole system is just extremely well integrated. You can use a QR code, uh, then put your card into a machine, then go over and get a, a refill. And that's it. Your trip to the hospital for a prescription refill is all of 10 minutes. Yeah, it's great. When you go from one part of the hospital to the other, you're already uh, in, in the waiting system uh, up on the screen. Yeah, it's that's right. Very, uh, that's right. It's, it's no wonder that Taiwanese people are so satisfied with and proud of their healthcare system. Surveys show a satisfaction rate of about 80%, I think. Mm. The National Health Insurance System, as you said, was launched in 1995, and it's quite an interesting story. But first, if we turn back to the 1880s, the beginning of the world's first national health insurance system. Eric, do you know where? <laughs> okay, unless you're going to ambush me with some obscure historical episode from New Zealand where you claim mm -hmm. that a sheep farmer invented the concept of health, <laughs> then <laughs> I'm going to go with the, uh, the, the pretty well-known story of the recently unified Germany, the first welfare state um, that was attributed to Bismarck, right, in Germany. Mm -hmm. They had some provisions of health and health insurance, and most people generally say, you know, Bismarck 
work from Germany or uh, Prussia kind of kicked that off. That's right. Uh, what were his motivations? Oh, well, I guess, you know, paternalistic concerns for society. There's that. And uh, the whole concept uh, that went a little bit too far in Germany with a strong, healthy populace is a strong, healthy country and a strong army. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there was also political strategy involved. Uh Bismarck was concerned about socialism and the growth of the labor movement. So although he himself, that's Bismarck, he was a you know very stern conservative, he took part of that socialist agenda and made sure that workers were taken care of. Yeah. And in Taiwan, uh, likewise, there was, on top of a basic concern for public health, also some strategic political considerations. In the 1980s, the nationalists, the Kuomintang, the KMT, they're all powerful, but long term, the writing's on the wall, really. Mm. Around the world, there was what we call the third wave of democratization. And Taiwan was part of that. We see the growing strength of uh, opposition voices, calls for democracy. And in 1987, the lifting of martial law. For the KMT, as a party mostly of mainlanders, um, you know, this was a, a minority ruling the majority local Taiwanese. So the KMT had a demographic disadvantage uh, at the ballot box. Right. So the DPP, or Democratic Progressive Party, which was founded in 1986, at that time, in 1986, it was still illegal technically, but they were mm -hmm. tolerated. And this new party, the Democratic Progressive Party, were pushing for a more, uh, let's say, progressive country. They wanted uh, greater provisions of social welfare. And Taiwan at that point was ready for a bit of comfort. The last two decades were the fastest economic growth in the world. Taiwan had just witnessed an explosion of, of growth. And with that, a large middle class had developed. They were increasingly educated and they had some expectations. You know, they wanted some public services. Yeah. In 1986, for example, defense expenditure was a quarter of the national budget, but social welfare expenditure just came to 16%. People wanted better social welfare, better employment benefits. And they had some people to point to who already had coverage, government workers, military, civil servants, public school teachers and the like. They had health insurance and that accounted for perhaps 10 percent of the population at that time. And there were also various insurance funds for specific sectors of the economy, such as farming or fishing. But almost half of the country didn't have coverage. And this figure was higher for the elderly. The ruling KMT leaders uh, decided to take a popular opposition policy objective of universal health coverage and make it their own. They sought advice from foreign experts about the options and also how to make the transition. The Taiwanese government uh, studied other countries' healthcare systems, of which they knew best by far the US system. Many Taiwanese had uh, studied there uh, and were working there. Okay, but uh, I would argue that the U.S. system is not a good model to copy from. Yeah, no, it's not, uh, especially if your goals are as well as quality health care, promoting social uh, equity, national solidarity, and cost effectiveness. Mm. Planning for the NHI scheme took seven years from the mid-1980s. Among the people uh, who gave advice was uh, Bill Shaw, William Shaw, uh, a Harvard health economist, and there was Uwe Reinhardt and his uh, Taiwanese-born wife, 
Mei Chung, both Princeton uh, economists, they advised strongly for a single payer system. Taiwan's population size was manageable and uh, the system would be good in terms of equality and efficiency. Uh, so Reinhardt recommendations met government approval. Uh, yeah, um, later he would get uh, several awards uh, from the government for his contribution. Okay, so they've got a plan, but they've got to sell it to the public and the health industry and the legislature or parliament. Doctors were also worried about their incomes. The various health insurance funds had concerns and the employers were worried about costs and so on. There was, however, broad bipartisan political and public support for the idea, but hammering out the details and overcoming dissenters would take a little bit of time. So there was a period of over a year of lobbying by government officials with President Li Donghui leading the push, twisting arms. And then in July 1994, it was time for the vote in the legislative UN, uh, the Taiwan parliament. And things got pretty heated in the week up to the passage of the law. Labor activists protested outside the parliament building. Some representatives inside the building tried to disrupt proceedings and make their opposition felt. From the column Taiwan in Time, we get this little snippet. Protesters scattered ghost money from the second floor. Several people then barged into the room and charged towards the legislators, only to be dragged out by security. They lingered outside the building yelling, the Chinese Nationalist Party, the KMT is a bully, the Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP is a pushover. So lots of uh, drama in the legislature. Yes, labor activists uh, put on a satirical play, well, more than one, in front of the legislative building. One of the characters, President Li Donghui, and he's ordering legislators to whip the nation's workers. Mm, very <laughs> dramatic. So why were these labor groups so unhappy? Well, there's various points of contention, but the ratio of contribution between employee and employer is the main sticking point. Labor group representatives demanded a two to eight ratio. Ratio. Industry group representatives wanted a five to five split. The government wanted a four to six split. Neither the industry or labor sides uh, like that. Even after the government agreed to pay 10%. So legislators also couldn't agree. And uh, yeah, it took three readings of the law in the legislature to get it into law. And that final third time involved uh, Lee applying more pressure and extending the session by three days, I think. It was over the weekend. But finally, in the small hours of Tuesday, July 19th, 1994, they passed the NHI Act. But the passing of the law was not the end of protests. Labor groups took to the streets and there was some minor industrial action. There was also pushback from the medical associations saying the hospital system would be harmed. And they had a good point because the implementation date had been moved years forward to January 1st, 1995. So from the law to the implementation is like, what, you got less than half a year to get ready. Wow. President uh, Li Donghui postponed it a few months, but said that it would go ahead come rain or shine on March 1st. There would be a month of transition with it fully operational on April 1st. <laughs> April 1st, April Fool's Day. And <laughs> the transition was chaotic, as you might imagine. There was a huge rush to clinics and hospitals before the act went into effect by people who for, you know, they knew the new system would be less favorable to them than their existing coverage would be. Yeah, there was confusion, some corruption, uh, complaints about increased fees, uh, such as registration 
patients needed to get health insurance cards, uh, actual cards, you know, cardboard cards in those days. Each visit, you got a stamp on the back of your, your card. Yeah, the IC cards didn't, uh, the chips didn't come until much later. But before long, people were pretty happy with the system. By the end of that year, something like 90% of the population was covered and public satisfaction was about 70%. And this is pretty lucky because the rollout was definitely rushed and yeah. it was a deviation from the original plan. The original goal was for the scheme to come in by 2000. So if we go back 1994 and then say 1999, that gives us a five-year phase in, mm. you can understand the concerns of hospitals and physicians, right? The healthcare plan might fail if it's not properly implemented, uh, right. but the president and fellow leaders uh, didn't back down. So there is a question. Some people might be thinking, why, why such the hurry? You know, why, why move it up? Well, it's pretty simple, really, if you think about it. Li Hui at that time had his eyes set firmly on the upcoming 1996 presidential election. And that was the first ever democratic one in Taiwan's history. Yeah, I assume he wanted to run on health care for the 1996 uh, election and well, at least to have gotten through the chaos and to deny the opposition uh, a platform. Right. With the benefit of hindsight now, of course, we know that Lee Dong-hui won that election in a total landslide, but it was the first presidential free and fair election in Taiwan's history. So, you know, it's uncharted waters. After half a century of KMT rule, Lee may have thought, you know, I don't know, maybe people would want to change. Yeah, things worked out okay in the end. Uh, good timing, actually, in a way. Uh, if they had waited for uh, 2000, then, well, there were a couple of uh, knocks along the way. The 1997 Asian financial crisis, Taiwan was largely unscathed, but it did slow growth. And then the dot-com bubble of 2000, uh, it gave Taiwan its first taste of uh, negative growth, uh, minus 2%. There might have been concerns about being able to afford it later on. Mm. But in the years since, Taiwan has received some pretty positive international attention as an example of a successful universal healthcare system, one that's attractive to countries around the world because of the low per capita spending. Yes, it gets attention, but not as much attention as it deserves because of Taiwan's status, uh, being excluded from world organizations such mm. as the WHO and uh, OECD and so on. Statistics on Taiwan's healthcare system, its performance, are not part of the usual international comparative uh, databases. So Ezekiel J. Emanuel, he's a doctor and a public health expert, wrote a book called Which Country Has the World's Best Healthcare? And in that book, he compared 11 countries' healthcare systems. So the countries were the US, Canada, the United Kingdom, Norway, France, Germany, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Taiwan, Australia, and China. And he goes through each country, and then at the end, he gives his verdict. And here's a quote I began this project with a simple question Which country has the best healthcare system? After studying 11 systems, my answer is none. Aha, what a cop out, eh? <laughs> There's no clear winner, but he does have uh, a clear loser. China, 
poor access, poor quality, low trust of the health system. And the United States also performs badly. Um, but the, the United States is brilliant to innovation. Uh, the world rides on, uh, on your research uh, for medicine and new devices. Mm. But Emmanuel also said the top tier would include Germany, uh, the Netherlands, Norway, and Taiwan. Uh, the best of those, he says, would depend on what you wanted. But I read in an interview that if he were forced to choose, he'd choose the Netherlands. Yeah. For poor people, he says the UK and Norway are good and Australia pretty good too. For the wealthier, Switzerland is excellent, he says. Yeah. Emmanuel notes that Taiwan is excellent in terms of patient choice. Patients can go to any doctor or hospital in the country. They don't need to wait long for appointments or operations. There's easy access to tests. That includes uh, blood tests, MRIs. Uh, and so on, as I well know. Affordability is another merit. The cost of pharmaceuticals is very, very low. Outstanding electronic healthcare system with those cards we mentioned. He also mentions the very low out-of-pocket costs, and he praised the system of low administrative costs and cost control efforts with regard to prescription drugs. Emmanuel doesn't ignore the downsides. Uh, he says care is austere. Physicians see up to 90 patients a day, and families are expected to provide custodial care for their relatives who are hospitalized. And he says, by comparison to other developed countries, Taiwanese hospitals are Spartan. Okay, so <laughs> austere, Spartan. Yeah, they're, they're a bit industrial, aren't they? Um, in many Taiwanese hospitals, he says, families and friends are expected to remain at the bedside and uh, when practical, to attend to the patient's daily needs like feeding and bathing. Mm. It's true. Um, John, what do you think? Anything that he missed out on or you got any other personal feelings on the pros and cons of uh, NHI Taiwan system? Well, yeah, uh, just to emphasize the point he said about the lack of what we would expect uh, nurses to do. Sometimes you might need to hire a caregiver. Uh, let me see what else. Okay. Though the health system is good for patients, I do feel sorry for doctors and nurses. Yeah, agreed. The health insurance thing is great for the patient, not so good for doctors and nurses. Long, long hours and there's sad salaries are artificially depressed. Not a very nice working environment either. Uh, doctors are stuck in windowless cubicles seeing over 50 patients in a day, right? Sometimes it's 100. Uh, they're like on a conveyor belt, basically. Uh, they're ordering tests for people, getting the assessments back from the technicians. It's factory-like. Not so satisfying a job, I would think. Mm. Taiwan has about two doctors for every 1,000 persons of, of population, which is low by world standards. About 60% of physicians are hospital employees. The rest practice on their own in clinics or offices. And this results in them working longer hours and they see nearly double the number of patients that their Western counterparts do. And for this, they get relatively low pay, right? Uh, how much yeah. do you think a, a doctor earns? It'd be something like uh, 1.8 million NT a year. 2 million. So that's, that's like, say, 60, 67,000 American dollars a year. Yeah. And a nurse won't even uh, possibly dream about making $2,000 a month. You know, that it's much lower than that. So uh, I definitely admire the, the young women and men who go into the nursing profession in Taiwan. They have a rough job. 
Yes. Um, but you know what? If I had to uh, make a choice between uh, New Zealand's healthcare system and Taiwan's, uh, I'd choose Taiwan's. Same here. Uh, so Eric, uh, anything we left out on the on the healthcare system? No, I guess I'll just say thank you for saving my life so many times and doing it cheaply. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, that's a little story on the Taiwan health insurance program, which we have given a thumbs up to in the end. Thank you for listening to Formosa Files. I'm Eric Michael Smith. I'm John Ross. Bye. Until next time.